Good morning, everyone. I hope um, you're like me and that you're praying for our nation. Lots of uh, turmoil and, and a lot of distrust and a lot of things going on today. And so um, the title of my message today is Blessed Are the Peacemakers. We're going to look at Jesus said that to those of us who follow him. And the idea was that we weren't just going to sit on the sidelines, but we were going to actively make peace uh, where we could and where it was possible. This is a picture of a guy named uh, Telemachus. He was a monk back in the 5th century. He in, uh, was working his garden, 404 BC, uh, AD, sorry. Uh, he was working his garden. He, as a Christian, he gets an impression from God that he needs to go to Rome. So he lives quite a bit away from Rome, and he packs a bag or a satchel or something, and he, for, for several weeks, travels until he gets to Rome. When he gets to Rome, there's a crowd, and they're excited, and they're heading to a place, and so he kind of asks around, hey, where's everybody going? And they were going to the Colosseum because it was the day of the gladiatorial um, competitions. The gladiators would fight unto the death. He was shocked because for decades, Rome had been a Christian bastion. Uh, they had... Uh, proclaimed Christianity as the national religion, and yet they were still people who would go to the Colosseums to watch men fight unto the death. And he was just he was appalled at this, and so he went into the Colosseum, eighty thousand people strong, and from the stands he yelled, "In the name of Christ, stop!" And really was unheard. There's so many people, and there's so much going on, and. The gladiators come to the Caesar, and he, they say, you know, what they, hail Caesar, we who are about to die salute you, and it just made his blood run cold. And so he walked out onto, kind of climbed over the railing, walked out onto the field of battle, got between two gladiators, and again he said, in the name of Christ, stop. And the crowd would scream their disapproval, they... Uh, asked for one of the gladiators to run him through. One of them came up to him, and, and with the butt of his sword, he hit him in the stomach, and uh, Telemachus crumpled to the ground. And once he re regained himself, he stood back up, and once again he yelled, in the name of Christ, stop. And the crowd was more irritated. Their entertainment was being taken away. And so one of the gladiators ran him through with his sword. And as he lay in a crimson pool on the field of battle, he rallied himself one last time, and with the meekest of voices but still able to be heard, he said as loudly as he could, in the name of Christ, stop. And then he, he died. And the crowd fell into a hushed silence. And then one by one, those who had come to see the match left. 80,000 people emptied that Colosseum, no longer having a taste for that. And when Emperor Horatius heard of this monk's bravery, he canceled all of the gladiatorial games from then on. It was the last known time that the gladiators met in the Colosseum. And I tell that story because Jesus has instructed us he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. But you have to understand the context of what was going on when Jesus 
said this because I look at our nation and I'm, I'm disheartened, honestly. But understand, when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, he said it to an oppressed people who were in a country that was being occupied by another country. Jesus selected as one of his disciples a guy named Simon. He was a zealot. Zealots, uh, you see the word here, zealots were ones who um, were part of a political movement among the Jews. Uh, there's a historian by the name of Josephus, one of my favorite names, and he says that the zealots were started by a guy named Judas of Galilee and Zadok the Pharisee around 6 AD. And they uh, would say things like, if you pay taxes to the, to the Romans, uh, you are a coward. And the description of the zealots is what they intended to do was they wanted a rebellion against the Roman occupation. Even if it included activism and violence. There was a subgroup of the zealots, they were called the Sicarii. They were the most militant of the group. They were cloak and dagger type people. They were um, the ones who killed not only Jews but also Gentiles. If Jews fell in line with the state policy of the Romans, they would uh, execute them. They would often carry a dagger under their uh, garments and finding a Roman soldier by himself, they would, they would put him to his death. And this uprising began to build and build and build. And in AD 66, they rebelled against the Romans, and for some time they had success until they were put down. And when they were put down, the Romans put them down strongly. And they destroyed Jerusalem, and they destroyed the temple, and this happened in 70 AD. Now, we know the Apostle Paul, he was quite militant against Christians, and some believe that he was a zealot, that he was against anything that was just not Jewish. And you see him uh, giving his approval at the stoning of Stephen. And so it's into this situation that Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. When Jesus sees what's going on in our country today, he understands because he lived through something very similar. Now, when Jesus speaks of peace, he's not simply talking about the absence of conflict. And he's not simply talking about a refusal to fight or resist evil. In fact, occasionally conflict is needed uh, to prompt uh, change and to prompt peace. One of the greatest illustrations of this is Rosa Parks back in 1955. Segregation was the fabric of Montgomery, Alabama. And from what I understand on the public transit, on the public buses, the bus driver uh, had a, there's a little clip that you would say this is the whites only section. And back then the language was this is the coloreds only section. And it was movable. Uh, the guy could, depending on who was on his bus, he could change uh, how many seats were needed for the whites and how many uh, were needed for uh, the African Americans. Rosa Park got on the bus and she sat in the coloreds only section and uh, then more white people got on the bus, and the bus driver changed the clip, and he put it further back, and he asked Rosa Parks to move back into uh, the back section of the bus. And she refused. Peaceful, civil disobedience. And it sparked a revolution, and it sparked the civil rights movement. One of the things that have been uh, most disturbing for me has been the fact that opportunists have upended uh, what was a and what 
is a national consensus that what happened to George Floyd was not only inhumane, but it was evil. It should have never happened. It just shouldn't have happened. And those who, uh, police officers who stood around and gave consent should not have done that. They should have said something. But these riots certainly don't honor uh, Mr. Floyd's memory. In fact, they've hijacked the conversation. And we as Christians have to resist this idea that uh, the lawlessness of the roving mobs has something to do with the lawlessness of those rogue police officers. It has nothing to do. One has nothing to do with the other. Two different things. Lawlessness is wrong. We have a Christian worldview, and we don't believe that you take other people's stuff. In fact, it's in the top ten. Thou shalt not steal. And here's the thing that's most disconcerting for me and most troubling for me. Those things are happening often in neighborhoods where it's difficult to find services and food. And why would you burn down the things that you need? And now you're going to have families who are not only, they may not be displaced, but now where do they get their, their food and their medicine? And who's going to rebuild those cities? And who's going to want to go back there? And there are long-term consequences often for our actions. So when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, what is he talking about? Well, there's, the English word peace is not quite the same as the Hebrew word shalom. And Jesus, being Hebrew, would have used the word shalom. When we talk about peace in the English language, typically we're talking about uh, the absence of conflict or strife. And so if the, the Hezbollah and the Israelites stop bombing each other, We'll use the language, there's peace in Israel. Well, there's not really peace in Israel. They just stop fighting. Or if you've got two kids in your home and they're arguing with, with each other and you send them to their rooms, there's peace in the house, but is there really peace? Because as a kid who used to be sent to my room, I know that I would go and I would smolder and I would, uh, I would plan revenge. There's, there's temporary peace, but there's not real peace. Jesus would often enter a room and he would say, peace be with you. He would use the word shalom. Shalom is, has a deeper meaning than just the absence of conflict. Peacemakers want the absolute best for others. Shalom is wanting the absolute best for others. And so when someone gave a greeting, shalom, what they were saying is, if you are apart from God, uh, my prayer for you, my wish for you is that you would be drawn back to Him, that there would be a restoration of relationship. If you're lacking health, my prayer and my wish for you is that you would return to health. If there's a conflict at your home, my prayer and my wish for you is that there might be family harmony. Peacemakers seek the absolute best for others. People to people and people to God. Now, Paul reminds us that shalom isn't always possible. Uh, we're to work for it. In fact, it says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. It says in Romans 12, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And sometimes you make an effort and you do your best and there's still no peace. But that still is no excuse for not trying. Blessed are the peacemakers doesn't mean blessed are the peacemakers as long as everybody wants to get along. Sometimes we have to advocate for peace even when there are folks who don't want peace. Paul went on to say this, don't take revenge, friends. 
Leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Working towards shalom is in the job description of those of us who follow Christ. Jesus was about to go to the cross, and one of the last things he said to his disciples was, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. And immediately he goes out and he's falsely accused and he's arrested and he's beaten and he's lied about and he's spat upon and he's crucified and he died. Yet right before he says, my peace, I leave you, my peace, I give you. And one of the most amazing things about the the arrest and the, the trial and the crucifixion of Christ is that he never loses his temper with any of those who are accusing or those who are beating. He never sulks because his disciples have have abandoned him. He never complains because the task that God has put upon him seems too much. When Jesus says, my peace, he's referring to an inner tranquility. He knew that God was in control and that God would take control. See, here's the deal. When I respond and when I react with anger and hatefulness and I'm upset about all things, there's something wrong with my heart. And when I sulk because I don't get my way or because people aren't recognizing me, there's something wrong with my heart. And, and when I, uh, I'm always whining and complaining, and when I do that, 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 that is a heart issue. This isn't what Jesus, this isn't the shalom Jesus wants for you, or for me, or for us, for anybody. When, when Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, it's for everybody. It's not just for some people, it's for all people. Our peace has been tested these last couple of months. First, we had the issue with corona, and now we have the issue with civil unrest, And peace during prosperity is easy. Peace during turmoil indicates where our trust is. And I don't know about you, but when I think about where my trust is sometimes, especially as an American, often it's in what I own physically, my material possessions. But Paul has something to say about that as well. To his young uh, apprentice, Timothy, he said, instruct those who are rich in this present world. And you might say, well, I'm not rich. Well, compared to the world, we're all rich. Uh, Not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. And has that ever been more true? But place your hope on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. We're unsettled right now. Because... Perhaps we've had a misplaced trust and we're unsettled because things are uncertain. They're not the way they used to be. We're unsettled because things seem out of control and we're unsettled because we don't know who to trust. So when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, how do we do it? I mean, it's, it's great to think about and I'd like for peace to happen. I wish it would happen today. I wish it would happen last week. How can I be a peacemaker? Well, let's look at a couple of verses found in Philippians chapter 4, and then we're going to kind of walk through what does it mean to be a peacemaker. Number one, it says, 
Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need, but thank you for what he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So the very first thing we must do, you've got to make certain you have some peace before you can share some peace. I can't give away what I don't have. When we're traveling as a family, uh, when we go to get something to eat, we'll go through the drive through or maybe even if we go in, you can kind of go in places now. I'll always order a meal deal. And they'll ask them, they always ask you, do you want a small, medium, or large? And I'll always get medium fries because I, I want to get enough to share. Because I know what Miriam is going to do. She's going to order a sandwich and a water. She's not going to order a meal. And so I order the meal deal and I get a little bit bigger fry. So I'll have some to share. I can't give away what I don't have. And if I only had a regular fry, I wouldn't have any to give away. And you're probably saying, well, couldn't you share even if you had a small fry? <laughs> That's just silly. Uh, so I get a little extra because I have to have it if I'm going to share it. You want to know how you get your peace back? Stop watching the news all day long. I think we need to be informed, but I can tell you this. I have cut back my consumption of news drastically, and it really helps with our peace. I mean, it just... Look, the news industry is built to, to get clicks. They want you to look at it. And so they make the headlines as big and bombastic as they can. And they make things bigger than they are. And they make things worse than they are. They do this because that's their job. And if I'm not careful, I get sucked into that. And so my advice to you, if you really want a peace of heart, if you want some shalom in your life, stop watching so much news. And, and then... I'm not saying don't be informed, but watch it in the morning, maybe a half hour or 15 minutes. Get enough to know what's going on. And maybe in the afternoon, never at night, never at night. Because I don't know about you, but I can't rest in peace if I have all that going on in my mind. So I don't watch it at night. I don't look at it. I don't want that going into my sleep. And then I ask God to search my heart. We've used this verse a lot lately. I just think it's so relevant Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. I don't know about you, but I've had some anxious thoughts lately. And so I ask God, Lord, am I missing anything? Is there something in me that needs to change? Am I treating people well? It's obviously that, it's obvious that peace isn't the natural condition of our world. And we need a Holy Spirit to do a miracle in our lives and in our hearts to make us peacemakers. Because really, it is so different than what we see all around us. We need peacemakers. And it's going to be a, a work of the Holy Spirit to make, that kind of make, make me that kind of person. We don't have to look far to see conflict. In 3,500 years of recorded history, People have been at peace less than 10% of that time. Wyatt Earp in the Old West used to call his Colt 45 the peacemaker. But there's a real difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. I can coerce you into peace, but that's not why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to coerce us into peace. And so I have to make certain I have some peace to give before I give it away. So let's go back to Philippians one more time. Don't worry about anything. 
Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. I would say, uh, I, I don't mean to add to Scripture, but pray God what you need. And what I need right now is peace. So I'm not going to worry, I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask God to give me peace, and I'm going to thank Him for all that He's done. And what you need to do is find some bright news, some good news to thank God for. And then you will experience God's peace. I've got to have it before I can share it. And the second thing I've got to do is I've got to share it. Again, Jesus wasn't talking about simply the avoidance of, of conflict. He never ordered us to not be in conflict or to protect our own tranquility. You don't want to know why? Because that comes easy and that's what we naturally do. When he's saying, blessed are the peacemakers, it is a verb. It is an action. It's something that we're supposed to be a part of. And God gives us things. We're, we're saved to serve and he gives us things so that we can share. And we are to steward the gifts, even the gift of peace. I've got peace at least deep in my heart because of what Jesus has done for me. I have peace with God. And I need to have peace with others. And one of the ways, a couple of ways we do that, I put them on little bullet points. Don't dismiss another person's concerns out of hand. Their experiences aren't your experiences. And what they go through isn't what you go through. And so don't just dismiss it. Well, it's not that way. Well, you don't know what that, you don't know what that way is. Uh, Jesus, in the greatest act of humility in human history, left the glory of heaven to come to earth. He, left, he, he put off his kingly robes to put on swaddling clothes. And if Jesus can do that for me, then I can listen to someone else. Stop making assumptions about another's viewpoint. I have never as a white man been pulled over by a police officer because of the color of my skin. I've never experienced it. I've been pulled over. I deserved it every time. I've never not deserved it. But some people's experience is different than that. And so I have to understand that. And we've got to stop making these broad, sweeping generalizations. All white people, all black people, all cops. It's not true and it's not godly. And we need to stop it. A peacemaker, his approach is he wants the absolute best for others. One of the things I do, it's just simple. And I know I can't change the world with this, but I try to make a little bit of a difference. Every time I encounter, I try to do this every time, uh, most of the time, I, it's probably more accurate. When I encounter African-American folks in, in public, in life, I, I, I go out of my way to speak to them, to be cheerful with them, to share my peace with them, because I'm afraid there are folks of my race who hasn't, who haven't. And maybe they have a bad taste in their mouth. And I want to make that better. I know that's just so small, but at least it's something. And you might say, well, why do I need to do that? I didn't cause this. I, I know. I know. But if I get in my car this morning and I drive home after church and there's someone texting and driving and they get into my lane and they cause an accident and I break my leg... I don't cause that. My leg is broken. It, it, the fact is I have a broken leg. 
I didn't do anything to break that leg. No, I have no culpability in the brokenness of my own leg. And yet, I'm still responsible for mending that leg, for rehabbing that leg. That leg is broken and it needs to be mended. And I have a responsibility to do it. At the bare minimum, we treat people well. But peacemakers go the next step. We do something about um, injustice. We say something when we see it. We comment when... um, Things aren't right. Jesus, in fact, said, a new command I'll give you, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. That's the, incredibly, the most incredible high standard ever. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And when we are makers of peace, we are showing that we are really His children. It's part of the family responsibility. It's one of the tasks God has given us to do. Hey, you want to be a part of the family? Great. I want you in here, but you, you must be a peacemaker. It's part of what we're called to do. And Jesus set the greatest example ever. No matter who he encountered, he loved them. The religious elites, while he called them on their snobbery, he still loved them. And the lepers, who no one would touch, Jesus touched. And the men who nailed his hands and his feet to the cross, he prayed and asked God to forgive them because they didn't know what they were doing. And if Jesus forgave the men who drove the nails into his hands and his feet, I suspect he also forgave those who gave him lashes on his back and spit in his face and fashioned a crown of thorns and placed it on his head. There's a benefit to being a peacemaker. We get the blessing of God. It's what we're called to do. It it is who we're supposed to be. You probably likely know the name Alfred Nobel. He's the one who instituted the Nobel Peace Prize that we give out every year. But you may not know the backstory of Nobel's Peace Prize. In 1866, he invented uh, dynamite. It was revolutionary for the time. In fact, at some point, one point in his life, he was uh, running 90 munitions factories creating explosives and ammunition. In 1888, so this happened in uh, 66 is when he invented dynamite. In 1888, his brother Ludwig died in France, France. And the local newspaper got confused. And they thought Alfred Nobel had died, not his brother. And so they wrote a headline, and Nobel read the headline, and it shocked him. And the headline was this, The Merchant of Death is Now Dead. And he began to understand that people, people's perception of him was that he was the merchant of death, and so he set out to change people's perspective. And thus he created the Nobel Peace Prize. He began to work for peace. Well, We work for the Prince of Peace. And in Ephesians it says, Jesus himself is our peace. 
And Jesus is the one who made the two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. But you can replace that, uh, white folks and black folks, or all folks. Jesus is the one who made these groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. This is the very reason Jesus came. Every conflict, every war, every atrocity, like those we saw with George Floyd, is because of a lack of God's presence and character and lordship in the lives of those people. When Martin Luther King said, I have a dream, Jesus would say, it's not a dream. Jesus would say, listen, it's your mission We are tasked with the mission of making peace. This is what we're called to do. And Jesus wonderfully practiced what he preached. Remember at the very beginning of the message I talked about zealots and and how they were kind of anarchists in some ways. They were insurrectionists. They wanted to overthrow the Roman government because the Roman government occupied the Jewish nation. Remember that? Jesus had one of them as his 12 disciples, Simon the Zealot. He actively, before he became a disciple, he actively worked against the Roman government. He was against them as much as he could be. And yet Jesus also included in his 12 disciples, in his closest cadre of friends, a guy named Matthew. He was a tax collector. He didn't work against the Roman government. He worked for the Roman government. And Jesus not only put them in the same room together, he made them live together. It's brilliant. It is this beautiful illustration of what the peace of Jesus can do to people. Jesus practiced what he preached. He came to bring peace. And the ultimate expression of our faith isn't in our church attendance, although church attendance is great. And the ultimate expression of our faith isn't in our giving record, although our giving should be stellar. We need to tithe and we need to give, but that's not the ultimate expression of our faith. The ultimate expression of our faith is doing what Jesus called us to do. And loving the Lord our God with all our hearts and all our minds and all our souls and all our strength cannot be separated from loving our neighbor as ourselves. We are called to be makers of peace. So let's end with this question today. What peacemaking steps can you take this week, the next few weeks? Again, you might be thinking... I didn't cause this problem. I didn't cause it either, as far as I can tell. But I can be a peacemaker. Jesus didn't command, blessed are those who make peace when they've caused problems, who fix their own problems. Jesus is calling us to fix other people's problems. What we have is a lack of trust. We have groups of people who don't trust other groups of people. We, we need to pray for our country. We need to work toward
toward reconciliation, people to people. We need the shalom of God, people to people, and people to God. Because ultimately, there really is no peace apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer to this. He's, he's always been the answer. And, and he'll be the answer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the challenge that you've given us through your Son to be makers of peace. Lord, open up our minds and our hearts to see if somewhere in our spirits we harbor resentment toward other people, if we harbor distrust toward others. And Lord, the fear we feel, help us to understand and help us to channel that and know there are people who live in fear every day. Lord, help us to shut out all the noise and all the voices out there that are telling us so many things. And let's just listen to you. And when all that junk tries to get in our hearts, let us just remember that we are blessed when we're makers of peace. And that is our mission and that is our calling. And Lord, I pray that you would show us, reveal to us, how can we be makers of peace Today, this week, next month, this year, help us to know what we can do to make peace. We pray this humbly in the name of Christ. Amen.